we had to build a company that worked in a DVD world, but yet when the conditions were right, would have been setting us up for being successful in streaming. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. Man, do we have a treat for you today. Mark Randolph, he's the co-founder, the first CEO of a small, fairly popular company called Netflix. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start off right where it excited me, Mark, is that I grew up with this single Jewish mom, six kids, single mom. Education was everything. I used to say the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. Uh, and there was a saying that I grew up with, doctor, lawyer, or failure. And every time my crazy entrepreneurial mind, my imaginative, curious, curious and creative mind would come up with an idea of have a giant ice cream cone that you could put a sundae in instead of just this small 31 flavors cone. My mom would say, that'll never work. Just keep studying. That'll never work. That'll never work. And I heard it from not only my mom when I told him I want to be a professional football player, that'll never work. And I loved hearing that. I have a saying, they laugh at you, they scoff at you, they make fun of you. And eventually they applaud you and tell you how much and how proud they are of you and how they always had your back. That is your story. You have a podcast, a book about that will never work. You know, give me a little bit of background. Uh, even before Netflix, your experience with people telling you what you can't do. Well, I think everyone, of course, faces that. I mean, anyone who has an idea gets somebody who tells them that will never work. And certainly, you know, I was no different. And I think, you know, the times that you and I were probably growing up weren't that dissimilar. And you're right. You know, maybe I'll add the list banker to that list. So <laughs> doctor, a lawyer or banker uh, or failure. Uh, and, you know, parents were well-meaning, I suppose. They kind of wanted the safer path to success that all they had to do was get you into graduate school for one of those professions and you were set. But, you know, I think like you, that was certainly not going to be my mold. I was one of those guys who realized that kind of that kind of education was so much telling people what the paved road looks like. And I was always the guy who was going, no, let's go and take us, let's take this side route. Look, look, this path is no one's been down this one before, or why haven't we tried this? And I kind of realized that was not going to be it for me. I I majored in geology, which I think on that doctor, lawyer, banker, geologist probably was number 631. Uh, <laughs> But it was all the same thing. It was not because I really had some aspirations to be a petroleum geologist. I, I just loved going out on the, the field trips. And that was, that was about, but you're right. You know, listen, Netflix was, was my sixth startup. Uh, and even before I got into the field of doing this for real, I was always that guy who was saying, let's, let's, let's make a magazine. Let's put on a play. Let's maybe we can get our friends together and we can all go in and buy something. It was always the crazy ideas. I had this little notebook when I was a kid and I didn't come up with the ice cream, an ice, big ice cream cone idea. I like that one. <laughs> My ridiculous idea was basically, wouldn't it be great if the hairbrush just rotated and you could hold it against your head and it just spun and combed your hair for you to That's save your idea too. Painful. I, uh, 
it, it's so amazing because I graduated law school. I did uh, try my best to honor my mother uh, by valuing uh, her efforts towards my future, um, but always kept my options open. So I took a more hedging approach to what I did. But immediately <laughs> when I graduated uh, and got a job as an oil and gas litigator for one of the, the top law schools in maritime law, this new thing in 1992 called the internet uh, was out and I got offered a job to sell legal research on the internet. And my mom actually told me the internet was a fad uh, and that I'd be making the biggest mistake of my life if I got involved in the internet. Uh, and so I made a brave choice off of a piece of advice that I got from a professor who thought I would do extraordinarily well in this space. He said, David, sometimes, you know, just because somebody loves you, doesn't mean they give you good advice. Appreciate that they care enough about you, but uh, as much as there's ignorant, humble people, uh, the most dangerous, ignorant, arrogant people is the arrogance out of love. Uh, not, not out of overselling, backend selling, lying, manipulating, and cheating, but someone that cares so much about you that it would hurt them more to see you hurt than hurt themselves. And therefore, they're always going to give you a decision based off of protecting you uh, and not knowing your capability and limiting you. Um, for me, that would have been a really devastating mistake. We exited for $3.4 billion in 95 to Thomson Reuters, set my career in a completely different direction than being a lawyer. I always say my law degree did come into to handy about saving, saving legal bills, but I, I I even met with Justice Scalia, who told me in 19, maybe 94, that nobody would ever do research in, on the internet, that you could only li literally do research in books. You faith the, the same exact as you evolved in your, your six startups. You know, you were dealing with the megas uh, of the world. And Blockbuster wasn't just a name. It, it was a blockbusting company. And you actually abundantly went to Blockbuster to partner with them, you know, you know, and you received what I thought was, you know, one of those great Justice Scalia moments that I had where they're like, that'll never work. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we thought that this was the perfect idea to pitch to them, which was to combine these two companies, because, you know, one of the things you do, as you know, when you're an entrepreneur is you're you're fairly paranoid and you're constantly thinking what could somebody else do that would really knock us out of the park? And in, in the case of Blockbuster, this was back in the year 2000, you know, so they, they were at their prime. They had, you know, 9,000 stores. Uh, and what we realized, and we were at the time just doing video rental by mail. So we, no streaming. Streaming was still seven years in the future. Um, but we realized that the thing that would crush us was a blended model which is something where you could not only do video rental by mail, but and the stores or combine the two and mix and match. Um, and we were terrified they'd come out with that before us. And so the idea was we'd pitch ourselves to sell ourselves to them. But as you, as you know, and uh, as I write about in the book, um, at first they were kind of nodding and asking all the right questions. And we were getting all excited that this could actually solve all of our problems. But then, of course, when we told them what the price was going to be, which was $50 million, um, the meeting went downhill pretty quickly after that <laughs> at the hubris. But you're right. You know, when when someone tells you that will never work, when someone sends you packing, you kind of realize that you're going to have to rely on yourself 
that, you know, my dad used to sometimes say, you know, Mark, sometimes the only way out is through that you have to turn and face these problems head on. And in some ways it was a really reinforcing galvanizing moment um, for the company that we were going to have to solve this ourselves. And, you know, it's interesting with your geologic background, one of the <laughs> things that I loved about geology was the perspective it gave me about time. Uh, and, you know, I try to live in a, a different time zone, not the speed of light, which indicates, you know, the 186,000 seconds that it takes a particle of light to get from the sun to the earth that we determine our 24 hour clock. But more importantly, the speed of thought, uh, which vibrates a frequency much faster. We can transcend the man-made construct of time, but geologic time for me helped me as an entrepreneur because there's an aggregate effect in business. And you know, I'm someone who lost over $100 million in 2008. Uh, I was a, a pit bull when it came to business. I ran Lee Steinberg, the sports agency. I'm a you know, great scarce negotiator at a young age, uh, very arrogant and egotistical. But once I learned about thinking long, seeing things past the immediate, uh, and that's with successes and failures, one of, I think, the most valuable things of disruptive technologies and businesses and industries is that the entrepreneurs, the leaders, you and your partner, Reed, you guys were thinking long. And if you can't think long about where can this go? You know, we're owning the customer. We're, we're in their homes with content. You know, all the things that led you seven years later uh, to the first time I saw the new Netflix, I'm like, oh, my God, that's genius. Like, you know, I, I never even thought it could go there until I saw it myself. What do you think it is in this, you know, aspect of, you know, that will never work that you know it'll work because you're thinking far past your imagination surpasses their reality, but you've utilized time in your favor, not in a resistant or a detriment to that, you know, that will never work attitude. Listen, I think the geologic uh, analogy is a great one, but I'm going to twist it slightly. Please. Because there's another piece of geologic, um, of geology that I think in some ways is actually more appropriate, which is that in geologic change, 99% of the change takes place in 1% of the time. It's not like when things, when you're building the Grand Canyon, it's not like it gets a little bit deeper. Most of that erosion takes place in these huge cataclysmic storms, which take place once every hundred or so years. And business is the same way. You're putting gentle pressure on something consistently over time. And all of a sudden, when the conditions are right, it just all of a sudden gives and you this amazing transformation. And everyone says, well, where did that come from? How did they know to go all in at that very moment? And the answer is, well, we didn't. We've been putting gentle pressure on that for, you know, in Netflix's case is nine years. And the interesting thing was, you know, that, you know, I, the book is called That Will Never Work Appropriately. And the podcast is called That Will Never Work. And as you know, that's what everyone told me, but they had good reason for saying that this ridiculous idea is never going to work. And, and one, of course, was all the blockbuster stores that we mentioned before. The other reason was that DVD, which is the thing we were mailing to people, was a digital medium. And it was just a matter of time before people downloaded it or streamed it. We weren't sure which of the two it would be. The thing is, we had no idea how long that would take. I mean, I think some of our investors thought it was a matter of weeks or maybe it was going to be months, <laughs> but certainly not nine years. And so the challenge for us was how do you build a company 
which will work in a world where you can't do streaming or downloading or Hollywood won't let you and there's no bandwidth. And the, when it is bandwidth, it's connected not to the TV, but to the computer. I mean, all kinds of problems. We had to build a company that worked in a DVD world, but yet when the conditions were right, would have been setting us up for being successful in streaming. And in this case, it was saying, we're not going to be a company which is all about DVDs. This is not going to be the world's fastest shipper of plastic. But neither is it going to be a company which is all about, we are the streaming, really, just, just wait, streaming. We're going to say, no, this is all about content. This is about a place to discover great stories. And we can make that real today. And we can keep getting better at that and better at that, make customers think of us as a place they come to for great content. And so that when we finally can do streaming, it's nothing really different to the customer. It's just we're delivery agnostic. If you want it in DVD, well, get it in DVD. If you want to download it, download it. If you want to stream it, stream it. You know, maybe it'll, it works. It worked then, works now, you know, in 20 years when we can beam it telepathically into your head, we'll, we'll do it that way. That's so smart. And, you know, content uh, amplification in, in mediums uh, is I was in the convergence device space in the nineties. I always said, you know, they used to say content is king, uh, but access and mediums will always change. The access will always get easier and faster and the mediums will absolutely change to eventually completely virtual. I want to shift the paradigm uh, in the theme of that will never work. Uh, I have an extremely open mind like you. I have an open heart and open hands and you do so much philanthropically as well, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on and this you know, beautiful approach of making money, helping people and having fun with your life and empowering others. But there's an interesting aspect to this idea of that will never work is that the people who have changed the world, who obviously have heard that again and again and again, they're also human and their parents themselves and their investors a lot of times themselves. And I always joke around, but you know, 25 years ago, if I was hanging out with Bezos in his garage, you know, I was wealthier than he was, more famous than he was, more connected than he was. And if he told me that he was going to be, you know, from selling books on the internet, richer than I was, let alone the richest man on earth, and you know, he'd have this amazing company. I would have maybe told him, dude, that's not going to work. You might be, you know, get a little bit realistic. And I see myself sometimes, even with my own children, uh, you know, falling into that trap. Number one, you're known for this, right? L listening. Do you still, do you have that human aspect of ego of telling people, I just don't see that. And when you feel that way, how do you catch yourself to still not, in, in, you know, be a, de a detriment because people respect your opinion so much, you know, that the, like my children or, or business associates, if I say, oh, that's dumb or, you know, bad idea, I know that's really damaging because they look up to your opinion so much. Do you find yourself open-minded when you're in the opposite position? Yes, but for a different reason than you might suspect. What I've trained myself to believe with all of my heart over the last 30 years is that every idea is a bad idea. They all it. won't work. And, but that has been the breakthrough for me. Every idea I hear, I know is flawed. Every idea I come up with, I know that's flawed. And, but the 
breakthrough, the thing that I tell people is that when you have an idea and you realize it doesn't work, or you tell someone and they tell you it won't work, well, they're right. So what do you do? You don't go sulking away and then go back to your, get your law degree or your medical degree. You figure out how to figure out why it's flawed. You do something, you test something, or you build something, or you make something, or you sell something. And that's what I've taught myself over the years. And that's what I try and teach other people. Stop looking for a perfect idea. It doesn't exist. Take whatever idea you have and start because that colliding it with reality, having it face a real customer, a real market, that's where you learn whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. And more importantly, you learn how you could tweak it or fix it or change it or pivot it to make it actually something that's going to work. So it's the going the opposite direction. And so, yes, everyone knows when they come to me, I'm, I'm going to agree with them. Oh, there's a lot of flaws here, but rather than trying to come up with the perfect idea, let's brainstorm a way that we can test this. Not in a year, once you raise some money, not after you quit school, not after you quit your job, not after you find a co-founder or whatever the other thousand bullshit ideas, excuses people have. Let's figure out a way to try this today. That's the valuable step. Such great wisdom. I love the fact that we could just add the, you know, dot, dot, dot. That will never work, but dot, dot, dot. Let's figure out how to make it work uh, is really the lesson uh, in the perspective that you have. I love every initial idea is a bad idea. Let's turn it into a good idea, a great idea, or an earth shattering idea like Netflix. And you have absolutely done that. You've inspired us to enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of the potential of whether it be your business or you as an entrepreneur. I appreciate Mark, all the wisdom and all the nuggets that you shared with us here.